this episode with Khadija was really interesting and very emotional for me as her mission opened up a better memory around my own mom. Her vision to help marginalized women not only find their own voice, but give them the upskills they need to be contributing members of society. The passion she's got to take on this project and the life she lived and the, and the twist of fate that got her into this role is an incredible podcast to listen. Guarantee that you'll be standing up by the end of this episode. And when you stand up, hit the like button, hit the follow button, hit the subscribe button. This is another amazing Yoan podcast with Diana Nad and Khadija. Can't wait for you guys to listen and leave us a comment. Welcome to Year One, hosted by me, Dio Klopis, and my good friend, Satish Bala. On Year One, we speak to early stage founders, business owners, and entrepreneurs about the highs and lows of the early years, the challenges and rewards, and everything else in between. So, without any further ado, let's get into this week's conversation. Khadija, welcome to Year One. Really happy to have you on our podcast with Satish and I. And we dive in, as I mentioned to you, know, as part of the introduction, there's no preamble or anything like that. We'll get to your business eventually, but what we want to understand is the person behind the videos, the business. So can you tell us, can you think of two or three significant events that have either made you the person that you are today or propelled you down the route of entrepreneurship? I would uh, say that I think looking back now, I think my DNA is adventurous, optimistic, communicative. I articulate my thoughts really deep. I go down inside me to be able to articulate in words what I feel and what I want. And that helped me all from being a, a girl, like really young, connecting with people. Also driven by excellence. I like to please. I like to excel. I like to impress myself and people around me in general, in any activity I do. Then I took the path of business and management. And then, of course, I read a lot and I'm impressed by great people in the world. So I read a lot of biographies of all people, not just entrepreneurs, all leaders in the world. I think like I'm amazed how they made it. I've never felt that it's too big for me. So I just think, oh, this is amazing. I want to do something like this. Uh, I think that's what led me to entrepreneurship at this stage. But I have done entrepreneurship in conventional ways before. Now I'm doing entrepreneurship in transformative ways. Actually, when I go deep to tell you about the, the startup I'm doing, some people forbid me from using the words I will use with you. But since you are a bold podcast, I'm going to be bold. Love that. The way I like it. Love it. I've, I've got it. I'm just I, curious I... though, right? I'm curious that you said that you like to please, you like to push yourself, you like to excel. Now, based on my own experience, typically that people who like to please, who push themselves, come from a home where they weren't valued or they were put under a lot of pressure to, to do more because in the eyes of the parent, they never would in enough. So if I look at this desire of yours to please, to push yourself, is that because you are, you did not feel fulfilled in the eyes of your parents or is it that your parents were completely liberal 
and gave you that opportunity to express yourself and be who you wanted to cool. be. It's the second one, actually. My father was very, like, progressive. He was very old and I was very young. And he, I felt that he saw something in me. And he was telling my mother, motivate her because she has a lot inside her. Okay. And he, he passed away when I'm eight years old. Oh, wow. But my mom took that advice and ran with it. She's illiterate. In fact, it's a unique story. She is illiterate. She married early. She was in the house, but she was always, you have something, do it. She always fostered education, advancement, all that. And I, I believed in it. I was good at it. I was encouraged to do more and more and more. And not just school, it's life in general. I like positive impact around me. I value change and transformation. That comes from school or not school. I'm an educator, but I don't believe only in education. I believe in learning well-rounded. Man, oh man. I am having a hard time holding back my questions. Because there's so many questions in, in just the opener. Now, you're, you're of Moroccan descent. Yes. Right? What was the journey like from Morocco to North America? And I'm going to talk as... about Marrakesh because it's beautiful. My hometown is Marrakesh. I am from very mainstream Moroccan family modest. We have rich people. We have poor people. We are very inclusive. Now they talk about inclusion. We were very inclusive despite the classes in terms of economic status. We had public schools. Everybody went to public school, rich or poor. The best makes it, but unfortunately only the elite makes it because statistically wise, it's, I mean, not very inclusive, but in general, chance is given to everybody. I was very open to human beings and I saw the, the, the humans, I saw the earth as flat, really, from like a, a small neighborhood in Marrakesh. I don't think like I'm a Muslim, I'm Arabic, I'm, I'm African. I just feel like I'm a girl walking near humans. And we had so many tourists in Marrakesh and I, I love languages. So I would walk and I would in, like volunteer to guide them. And then I get to speak French. Uh, learn English, help people. And then when they say, do I pay you? I said, no, I just had fun chatting with you. And then I walk. So it was that, that way of raising that opened me to reading English books alone. I, I taught myself English because I, it's French based learning in Morocco. So I started reading Peter Dracker management books from original version. I just thought I'm not going to read the tra translated ones because maybe they're, ch they changed. So I read that, and from that, I, I thought, I want to do an MBA in America, not higher education in France, which is the norm. And that was my own thinking. And now that people say individual thinker, I say, I was that. I was yes. individual. I had no guidance. Nobody guided me. I, I define my own milestones. My family say, enough, you can become a teacher. I say, no, I want more. I know I have more to give. I have more potential to go further. I'm going to go. I enjoy it. It's like entrepreneurs now. They say, I don't feel I work. I, it's the same way for me. School was not school. It was fun and explore and like make verse out there. That's how I got. In fact, my story with America is very inspiring. I want to share it here. It's, I was in my college and there is an American who came from the USA. He spoke. 
and he talked about the Fulbright scholarship and English as an open, like opportunity for Moroccans to sell across the world instead of French speaking export countries. Then I thought, yeah, it makes sense. English is universal. Well, I went to him and I got his business card. I met him. He, he told me about the Fulbright scholarship. He said it's selective. I said, I will make it. And then I, after four years, four years, I put my plan. I'm not going to go deep, but even personal plans, like I'm going to go to America. I'm going to do Fulbright. And 10,000 Moroccans apply. Nine got accepted that year. I was number three. Oh. And I was sure. I was sure. I don't know how. Now, like, you, you got 50, and I look back, I was 20. How did I have that conviction? And I want the young to know that if you're convinc convinced, then the world gets convinced. My gosh. Okay, uh, second question, because I study a lot now in my older 40s. My not to look back and like with regret, but I've been I've been curious lately about the voices we hear. And I've got two kids at home, so I'm a lot more conscious of when do when do they hear themselves? When does my voice overlap their narrative? And you seem to be at a very young age discovered your own voice. And I have this belief system that like the first stage of our lives, it's other people's narrative of who we should become. And, and some of us choose to believe it. Some of us don't. And the ones that don't live other people's version of our lives have to discover their voice first. And you seem to have discovered your voice pretty early. How? I think because my mom's voice was not loud. She says, I don't know. I'm going to let you know. Explore. But I trust you. Just be a good person. Go out there and choose because I can choose for you. So I now think that parents like me, educated, they have to give like step backward and let their kids lead. Because if you lead for them, then they don't have an opportunity to lead their own lives and look inside them for that voice, that desire, that passion. You are helping them to shape their lives. You have to do it less, 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 even if you have ideas. So I just felt I'm on my own. I'm autonomous. So let's do it. Love it. I love you. You're my favorite human. Thank you. So Khadija, I mean, I just want to steer us back to your business now because I think we can spend so much time just talking about your background and the inspiration that you got from your parents, the support that you got from your parents, and even the fact that at a young age, your dad passed away. Uh, and maybe before we talk about your business, how did that influence your life, the passing of your dad at such a young age? I'm going to talk. I like your show because it's real and like no filter. I was very young and he was very old. And his spirit, I think I inherited his spirit. Wow. He always is excited about life. That's why he got kids when he's around 80 or 90. I mean, my story, nobody will believe it that I'm born when he's almost 82. Wow. And people say, why? No planning. He's like, okay, they're, they're going to be fine. I'm fine. See, I'm my, and my, my brother is five years younger. He is fine. Very fine. So that, so I, I was expecting him to pass That's away, true. but I took already a lot from him before that. I took his spirit, his encouragement to me, his 
thinking that I had very high potential, always celebrating me or my talk. I'm always funny and young. He was like telling my, what I say to his friends and he had so many friends. He's intellectual. So I say, oh, my daughter said this and this. And I hear it and say, wow, they like that. I think it's good. So you, it builds validation. It builds confidence. And you just like who you are because you are celebrated. So I think I took that from him before he passed away. But it was expected. I wasn't so like, I just saved like, this is life. And I'm like that. I'm always accepting. In fact, I will tell you like my mom is 83 right now. And I expect the end. It's life. Life, that is good. It's not bad. I have an autistic child. I see him as a blessing. It's a blessing because I learned a lot through his autism. I learned, I never knew like neurodiversity. I only ever with him. I, a limitation of human beings, enjoying the small, infinitesimal successes of people. Even though I will tell you that I want to build a big tech, I still celebrate a little thing with my students, with my son, with, because everything is worth celebrating. But human beings have different abilities. Maybe I want to build a big tech because I fear I can, but somebody else wants to build a little thing and he's so happy. Most of all, we need to be happy about what we achieved and enjoy the journey. It's not about the level, not grading. We don't grade here. Ah, Dion, I'm speechless, bro, because all of your questions, you can throw it out. Like, I don't, it, 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 this is just bombs and. And and I I want to hang out with you and talk about Schoolio on another call because there's so much of your energy in the movement that Dion and I are trying to create around public education and access and changing the students' mindset from I have to study and memorize to learn and be curious. And I think it's a whole other show, but we still want you to tell us about your business. So give us the 30-second elevator pitch about you your You know, business. I'm an educator too, right? I'm an yes, exactly. I teach university, so but yeah, we can touch on that when you ask me about that. But yeah, my startup, and it will start with autism. Okay, when I when my son was diagnosed with autism, I was CEO of an investment bank. Okay, by the way, I cry very easily, but I celebrate that too. That's my expression of me, and I feel good because I just stop and go on and go with you in talking. So. When, when my son was diagnosed with autism, I was the first CEO of an investment bank in the history of Saudi Arabia. By luck. I don't, I mean, by luck, but I did well. Because life is mysterious. Then I had to come back to America for his care. And then I had to leave my job and I can't take a full-time job. I needed to reinvent my work and still continue to express myself and my intellect and make earning as well. So I started teaching in, in universities. I advise strategy with tech startups. In that, I also taught female entrepreneurship in Cornell. And in that environment, I was teaching 20,000 ladies from various backgrounds, all of them aspiring to become entrepreneurs. And when I had these calls with them, I say, ladies, let's think big. Why are we always thinking small? Like you can, you can always dream bigger. You know, when she says, I want this, but I want to stop. I say, no one of you is thinking about a big tech like Google or Meta or 
Tesla or Microsoft or Alibaba or all these big tripods. And they say, yes, but we didn't know we could do it. And I keep saying it like some of you should. I'm, I'm saying I respect all levels of realization, but some of us have to, to think like that because we're humans too. Okay. So, and then I said, why do I tell them this over and over? Tell, tell yourself, Sadisha, you can also do that. You're inspiring them to, to do that. And really ladies get, get in that mindset. So I said, autism, I couldn't do much because it's not my specialty. I'm thanking God. In fact, when people talk about the American dream, my American dream is special education laws. I thank all legislators who have done something to write the laws of special needs people, because that saved my life and saved my son's life. This is my story. That's the American dream is not entrepreneurship or capital or dollars. Okay. Second, I said, I want to make an impact. Look at this school. They're, they're making something out of nothing, special needs kids. How can I make a difference in people's lives from my own core skills? And I am educated. I know business. I know investment banking. I know strategy. I know finance. Okay. High finance. Then I said, I'm going to help women because even me, I suffered to reinvent myself. Then I said, I want to help women who have voice like me, but more the ones that do not because they, look at me. I'm very resourceful. I have done so much. And then life brought something surprising. And here I am reinventing my work. And so I wanted to help women because our lives is nonlinear in general. But imagine about special needs mom. I mean, illiterate moms, moms who left school when they're and before college. How could they make their lives? I could remake it because I have two masters and a Fulbright scholarship and a CFA track. It's easy. But for them, it's not easy. So I thought about technology digital. Now everything can be delivered to their homes. They just need time, freedom to open a digital device and the motivation to listen. And then good people to inspire them and to share with them their know-how and to teach them how to make themselves. They can make money from their homes. They can learn and upskill from their homes. They can raise their kids from their homes. They can take care of elder people from their homes. They need an ecosystem to be included and also to, to leave and come back because a lot of women, they leave the, the workforce, they cannot come back or they come back to lower grade jobs. So it's a lot of, lot of I say, I am doing fusion for dignity of women or dignity. I am doing fusion for fil fulfillment of the ambitious women because I am one and I know I want to be fulfilled. I don't want to die. And fulfilled. Wow. Wow. If, if folks that are listening to this audio podcast are not standing up by now, something is wrong. You got to go check your pulse, man. As you were talking, and, and I don't talk about my mom a lot in our podcast, but as you're talking, I kept thinking about my mom and the, the immigrant story of a, a woman in, in high school who got pulled out of education because she had to get married. 
and she wanted to learn and she wanted to go to school and she wanted to, to be somebody, but she hit that age of maturity in India and they pulled her out of school and she was, was forced into marriage. And from that day onwards, she's lived a mother and wife child. And when my dad passed away about 11 years ago, I remember I was just checking in on her one day and, and I said, listen, is there anything I can do to help you? And, and, and she said, I, could you hire me? And I had my own company at that point. I said, what do you mean? Do you want me to hire you? Like I get choked up thinking about this stuff. She's like, I've never made my own money. Crazy. Yeah. And as you're talking, that emotion just hit me. It's, it's very deep in our hearts. And when women talk like this, I don't blame men. They're not women. So they never have felt what women feel in those situations of being helpless, of being dependent economically, of being wanting to be successful and they're shy to say it, of, of wanting to be ambitious, but they call them uh, like selfish moms because they're not taking care of the kids. We are humans too. And we have the same desires, but we have different functions. And we love our function as a mom, as a daughter, as we just want a better system that can be tailored and follow our non-linearity of life so that we can still keep going while doing our duties of mom, of daughter, of wife, all that. And respect, of course, and understanding. I appreciate the opportunity to relive that. So, Adija, to that point, right, what needs to change at a corporate level, at a society level, at an institution level, what actually needs to change in order to support that where females can come in and out, females can be empowered if they've never been in the workplace before? What type of changes do you actually think need to be made? For me personally, I see technology as a blessing because delivery now is virtual. So anything can be handed to women anywhere. Like for my culture, some religious families refused to send women to study abroad. I wasn't from those families. That's why I could travel to America to get an MBA. Some women couldn't. Now that education can be taken online. Women, when they have young kids, they cannot go full-time to job because nine to five does not work. We pick up our kids at two o'clock. We drop them at eight o'clock. So it's not possible. So now companies have to foster flexible remote work and blend it with in-office in a way that allow women who are tied up with personal responsibilities to still be included and contribute because I think women with kids are more motivated and can bring more to companies than without because they feel responsible more in life. Maturity and responsibility, you, you become like double force what you were before the kids. So companies can take the best out of women if they know how to take it. So fusion is for that. I will tell you about our model. And when I say we want to build a super app for women, I'm coming from my background. I like durable, durable human development. I like that. So I, when I analyzed, I, when I taught at Cornell and Brandeis, I tore down strategies of super apps with my students. 
to understand fintech. And, and I was analyzing, I was like, all these super apps are transactional. They mostly do payment, fintech, delivery, ride hailing, all the services that we want to do. And then you can do them and close and that's it. Transaction is done. Okay. I like education. I like jobs. I like inspiration. I like coaching. I like counseling. I like things that go deep into human and stay with them. And in fact, if you look at nation's development, it goes with the human development index is with the human development. I mean, with GDP goes with HDI hand in hand because skilled people with talent create GDP. It's good business. I mean, I'm, I will come to that now. So when we talk about empowering and enabling, in fact, I don't like empowering because it's just words. I like enabling, which is you inspire the woman, but you give her the tools to execute and enact that inspiration. So when fusion, we fuse. In fact, fusion is fusion, like fuse, the verb fuse, the word fusion, F-U-S-I-O-N, but we didn't find it, so we spelled it differently. We fuse learning, uh, skilling, and focus on the future of work and the future of skills because I come from that background. I am very concerned about the future of work of humans in general. And of course, I work for women, so I'm, I'm doing that for women. Work is under attack because of AI, because of automation. All, and I, don't, I don't dislike automation. I just want people to be humans, to be smarter so that they design solutions that will keep people employed and dignified and valued. You talked about success. We want people to be happy. If they're not happy, what's the worth of having a comfortable life if you're not happy? I mean, yeah, AI will give us comfort, but what's the worth of comfort if you're not fulfilled, if you're not, you, you don't feel good about yourself? I mean, yeah. Is, does money give happiness? No, it's that sense that you made it that gives you happiness. It's the money itself or the success itself. It's the journey. It's the effort that gives you that sense of joy because you feel like you're worth something. So when I look, about, I look at the future of work, I see things tectonic. It's moving so fast. And I'm like, I want to teach women. I, I say, I want to bring women to the know. Like, what's going on? What's going to happen? Because I read off. And so what we're doing, we're sourcing library of future skills, like hot skills that will be valuable in the future. And now, then we tell them about that so that they can pay attention. Then we have a room where we bring the jobs. The jobs will be remote, flexible, so that we can give them access. Also, I want to give access to women in remote places because the work market needs people. And women need jobs. So let's do some matching and some arbitrage and some like, let's make that need meets the other need so that you have some benefit. So we are fusing learning with upskilling, with earning opportunities, with coaching, with career counseling, with emotional resilience. Because I feel like this this thing you asked me, Jan, about what should be, should change in society to enable success of women, I think the system is not adapted. So I, we say we are customized it. We are filling the holes where the talent of women is wasted, where they derail. The women are very bright in school, but they don't make it in the last mile. 
because the system is not adapted. So we need to always say, come back, you can still make it. Come back, you can still make it. Here is the tool. Here is a coach. Here is an expert. Here is a successful role model. Here is the uh, companies who are hiring women for representation, for quota, for all this diversity. Here are the, the, the courses that you can take. Here is the communication skills. And we focus on English a lot because it opens, it's my experience, open doors for me. It's going to open doors for me, billions of women if done right. But they need hands over hand concierge services to take them to that destination. And the women did not get that enough. Even the, the, the educated ones, the ones I was with at Cornell, they need a lot of just a little, like touch points. I just give them some tools and then they can go because they already have a lot. But they need that little, those little tools. Mm. I'm an entrepreneur. In, in Fusion, we are inclusive. We take I women from no, nothing. So we, we go and it's by level and we're still thinking, of course, this is a big project. I, I, I know when I say big, like big tech or super app, people say it's cheesy. It's fluffy. It's pompous. I say yes, but also I hear great people say, if you're not scared of the sentence you said, you're not dreaming high enough. So I'm going to say it. I love it. I love yeah. it. Okay. I, I want to do a bit of a read. It scares other people. Then, then I'm going to. They're not big enough. It. They're not big yeah. enough. And, and, and let's talk a little bit about the early days. So a lot of our listeners are, are first-time founders or founders transitioning from a, a full-time job, like maybe what you did. So can you talk us through maybe one or two early days of, of, of stress that was either skill-based or, or, or weakness-based where you had to sort of overcome some hurdles as you got into this new role from a, from a startup perspective? You've been a CEO before. But it's different when you're at the top all by yourself in the early days. And that's the part that a lot of people emotionally give up. Smart people. They don't have the, the, the resistance to like fight through some hurdles. So to inspire our, our listeners a little bit more, what are some early surprise hurdles that you maybe encountered? And, and what were they like? And how did, you, how did you stay in the game? First of all, when you have a big idea like mine, it's like a blurred image. You don't have all the pixels. So you look at it, but you're like, I, I, I hope I'm putting the right pixels so that the picture come as I see it. It's a vision. So for those pixels, it's the team that you are looking for, the values of the team, the personality of the team, the patience. Then you never talked about money. Money is a big factor because there is risk. First, you're not, you're spending your own bootstrapping, but also you're giving up compensation for work that you have been doing. So it's double, double loss in entrepreneurship. And if you really do not want it so hard that you can do double sacrifice, then you're not gonna, you're not gonna like last. Also, you're tried over and over and over because time goes by and you're not going as fast as you, as you want to. And it's normal. You know, it's going to take time. You receive, you face a lot of rejection of investors. You, you can't hire enough. You have always to give, to inspire your team so that they can stay with you because they see that things are happening and you're building it. And because they also are, are people and they're looking for opportunities. 
if you have talent, there's like, they have choices out there. They need to be their best choice and you have to work on it. In fact, you're selling yourself to everybody every day, including yourself. Because if you're not convinced, you cannot convince them. They will know from the tone of your voice that you don't mean it. You don't believe it. You have to believe it. In fact, a lot of time I get like drained. I have to read books or t like people bigger than me so that I can get energy from them and vision so that I can stay. And it's, I, so it's been two years now that we are uh, working on fusion with my bootstrapping. My brother is my champion. He's the second angel investor. So he knows me. He believes in me. He wants me to be happy through fulfillment. As, you, as I told you, it's not about success in fusion. It's about me being happy. Oh, I made it. I have always dreamed about it. So this is, this is the motivation. Second, my team tried me before. So there's that payback. They tried me in investment banking setting. They know how I am. So they're comfortable to come with me. Just trust. So the entrepreneur needs to be true. Needs to be a real he, uh, and consistent. Consistent because people stay with you for many years. So if you build some social capital, you find it in, in your entrepreneurial life. And also partners, like people will sign contracts with you if they know you. It's just a lot of doors will open if they already tried you and they trust you. If not, then you have to work on it and go and start. And it depends on the business model. For me, a fusion is a social impact. But social impact that wants to be a big tech super app. So it's the, I, I believe that it's not a trade-off between profitability, unicorn, and social impact. I think it's a hard equation to resolve, but we are determined to resolve it. I like that. I like that a lot. I'm left speechless. I mean, this energy that, that you've got. You just... I also want to tell you that my team is 90% women by design. And 90% decentralized in the world by design. And for that, you have to work. You have to go and look for talent in those remote areas that you know. And it's my background because I have lived in three continents, worked in three continents. And now I'm, I want to execute that vision. Because a lot of corporations talk like this, but I want to do it. I don't want to just talk about it. I know it's feasible. And I saw other stories that amazed me, not because I'm amazing, because I'm amazed. That's why I want to do amazing things. If Tesla can be made in USA, then a woman a startup, tech startup, big tech startup, founded, designed by a woman, founded by a woman, developed by a woman, architected by a woman, and managed by a woman with a board of women is possible. That's impossible. Denise, your, your passion is unbelievably infectious. And I mean... You've got this strength of conviction that has come from your early years with both your dad that supported you before he passed away and then him passing on that message to your mom that she must let you carry on, spread your wings and, and be the best that you can be. But I mean, the reality is in our darkest moments or when we're on our own, there are things that make us scared. There are things that we start doubting about our own abilities and things like that. So. What are those, we call this confession corner, what are those things that keep you awake at night or prevent you or hold you back or that you feel insecure about? For my company or in general? Yes. Both. For my company, 
In the beginning, I was not insecure with investors. I was at that table investors. So coming from that, I know. So I am pretty com comfortable, but I know that women funded, uh, f founded startups are hard to fund. So I, I had that. So I'm not surprised that we are facing a lot of challenges to get funded. Even though the idea is huge, the team is strong, everything is, is looks bright. For. So I always like, okay, I'm bootstrap, but how long can I last? And also the product is so complex. Now we have B2B clients, but we need to look good. I mean, once they come, in fact, I am like, wait, we have to build it better for you because I want the best customer experience because we can't, we can't make a mistake and then lose the first client. So that is one of my vulnerabilities is like, once we make it, the first B2B client should need to be happy. When I say B2B client, they sponsor of a group yeah. of large like women coming, coming for programs for all that enablement. Me personally, I'm a dreamer. So dreamer, not just work. When you see me like this, I'm a lot of life beyond work. So, so also I like my daughter jokes. She says, because now she knows autism through her brother, she says, you are Asperger's, the laughing kind. <laughs> like I am obsessed with my ideas and my, my work and my, even like in life. In fact, my work or my beliefs are, are uh, somebody told me you live in congruence. Like my my, my work merges so seamlessly with my life. I can talk the same talk, either there or here. So she says that she says, you're always like talking about the same in different ways. But for me, it's all sync. It all syncs like work life principles. Like when I, like when I told you, I said, what, what's the point of success or money? It's not that it's about you, like your happiness. Then like, wh who are the people that are significant in your life? What did you do about that? Does your work make them happy? Did you make it like an impact? Did you change the life of someone. These things like are, are the things that come over and over. So now, now if you ask me, I'm like, I hope I can make it and make it big and impact so many millions. So I don't know, but I wake up every day with like, yes, you can do it. And I renew my belief in me so that I can keep going because we are only humans. We are not big, but we are very big. I mean, one human can change the world if, if they Keep at it. In fact, it's not about conviction. You have to keep, keep at it every day. And not every day is a high day. There are lows and highs. But yeah, you, I think this is those moments like, oh, are you able to do all that? And then I say, yes, because you have to. You, you, you made an interesting, <laughs> you said every day I need to renew my belief in myself. Is that a conscious exercise that you actually go through and what does that look like? Yes, thank you for asking this because it's been two years that I was listening to a lot of people I respect and they talk about, there is a word, self-awareness. I was reading about that and when I do that actively, I analyze inward. How do I feel? How does that make me feel? Why am I upset now? What did it happen? And they do my own psychologist. I am my own. I don't have any psychology background, nothing. Really, I'm the furthest person to psychology. I didn't even know about neurodiversity until I got my son. So 
I explore. In fact, this is one of my discoveries that I was excited about the brain and the soul and how they interact and the body, all those components that make us, that make us. And I always think about them. Like if I'm not comfortable in my body, then my brain is not comfortable to be productive. And I have some mind games to make myself more productive. In fact, I discovered power naps. I discovered like these, like what movie gave me some energy positive to what the, the one I want, not any energy. What, what book, what YouTube video, what type of message that if lifted me up so that I can do what I'm supposed to do. So it's a conscious exercise that I do. Music is another like ingredient for me. Sun, the sun going out, running, the beach, all these I discovered like multiply my energy and my outlook. Yeah. And when I do those activities, a lot of good ideas come. Then I store them and then when I come, I can just execute because the ideas that were hidden now, they surfaced and now I just can use them. In fact, some of my letters, I, I write them when I'm sleeping. And when I wake up, I just type because they're already, already written. I do that. I do that. I do that. Finally, to meet another person who does writing in their dreams. Yes. Good. Nice to meet you. Well, <laughs> I know there are two of us. So, Adidja, to close out the session now, right? So, you come from a high-powered position. You've moved into running your own business, and you've been on both sides of the table. You've been supporting on investment side of things, and you've been on the side in terms of starting up your own business. And not only a not a new traditional business, but something that's got a massive social impact associated with it. So you're not, you've actually started a business to change the world, right? So to close out the session then, what advice would you give early stage founders in terms of mindset or in terms of attitude or in terms of things that they need to do within their own business to make, to guarantee or improve the likelihood of success? I want to say something. Entrepreneurship is like a cult. So they have to immerse themselves because you don't just come from corporate and say, I'm an entrepreneur today because it's a total, another planet. It's Mars and Earth. Okay. I love it. I'm going to use that today at okay. some point in one of my mentoring sessions. Listen, guys. First of all, it's about a blurry picture. You don't be in a rush to put the pixels there. And number two, you're on a different planet. The rules don't apply. You have to touch the ground. You have to feel the sand. You have to feel the minerals. You have to talk to people who live on Mars, Martians. And then you come with your own DNA. So you have to adapt to Mars because now you have your human DNA and you're on Mars. It's really the analogy. Really, it's what you bring with you and what you have around you and how you're going to be in that new planet with what you have and what you get, really. And it takes, sometimes it takes time, but I want them to be diligent and to be dexterous and to be perseverant and so that they can learn a lot and absorb a lot from, and also I want them to filter because there's a lot of fake in entrepreneurship. I want them not just to waste time with the fakeness and also to lose their money because there are a lot of bad stories. We don't hear about them 
It's called the selection bias. We only hear the success stories. We don't hear the failures. So I want them to come equipped with their patience, perseverance, a high desire, and to have a very selective eye and ear about what they hear and what they read, what they see, and be cautious about money a lot. Like lean startup, frugal, very careful. Be careful about the net because the net brings good people and evil people. So sort through those. Don't get duped. But still, you need your virtual ecosystem because you need partners and you need mentors and you need influencers and you need team and you need. So you cannot hide because you got scammed. You don't have that choice or that luxury. You have to be out there, but you have to have the eye and you, you go look Google. And I don't know if you do chat GPT, but my, I use Google. So I look at reviews. I look at what people say about everybody who contact me. I go do diligence, do your diligence about everything and everybody, because I don't want you to be burned. And uh, failure is okay. I like failure. I promote failure in entrepreneurship, but I don't like it to be repetitive and pattern because that's not good time. And also it gives, tells you something about something that you repeat doing wrong. Second, failure should not be drastic. Like in my case, I want fusion to succeed. So I'm more cautious also with my age, my experience. I don't want to do fatal mistakes. So I can do some mistakes, but so I want, it depends on the age. It depends. So, and also for young people, I, I want to, Talk about Sam Bankman in here because I hate that story. FTX, he's an MIT grad, which is like MIT is like glorious, but that guy just broke the whole sector of cryptocurrency. And like, what a, what a story to tell from. So I, for me, I don't believe in, in grants, institutions. I believe in individuals. Khadija, this has been an amazing show. I'm so grateful that we've had an opportunity to meet you. You're probably one of the few people that I wish I could spend at least a week in your company, because I think what I would get from your energy would set me up for life, if I'm being very honest with you. So I would really thank like you, to yeah. thank you for, for taking the time out to talk with us. And without a shadow of a doubt, you're going to be successful because I don't think there's any other option in your mind. And we are going to be watching your story and we're going to be following you and you're part of our network now. So thank you so much, Khadija. Year One is hosted by Dion Kloppers and Sathish Bala and does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It is engineered by Bluemex. For more Year One content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit Bluemex.io to join us on Discord.